I was thinking this week, I, uh, on Facebook, another one of my uh, friends had a, uh, a dog pass away this week, and it's kind of funny, we, we put those uh, you know, notices on Facebook when we have uh, loved ones die, and I think the dogs get almost as much uh, you know, uh, FaceTime as the uh, humans do on Facebook. But it reminded me of a story, a man named uh, Muldoon, he lived alone in an Irish countryside uh, with only his, his dog for his company. And one day his dog died, and Muldoon went to the parish priest, and he asked, he said, Father, I'm not going to do my uh, uh, Irish, uh, you know, verbiage here. He said to Father, my dog is dead. Could, could you be saying a mass for the poor creature? And Father Patrick replied, I'm afraid not. We cannot have services for animals in the church. But there are some Baptists down the road, and there's no telling what they believe. Uh, maybe they'll do something for the creature. So, so Muldoon replied, he said, I'll go right away, Father. Do you think the $5,000 is enough to donate to them for the service? Father Patrick exclaimed, Sweet Mary, Mother of Jesus, why didn't you tell me the dog was Catholic? I don't know if that's really true or not, uh, but uh, apparently, I don't know, that, that makes a difference. But anyway, just thought of that this week and came to my mind. We're in a series, of course, through the book of Acts, and uh, last week we had a, a great a story about the man uh, Philip. Uh, you know, we've just seen the disciples scattered uh, throughout all of Judea and Samaria while the apostles uh, stayed in Jerusalem, and Philip went down to Samaria to preach. Uh, we saw that many came to know and follow Christ because of Philip's great preaching about Jesus. We also saw last week that his interaction uh, with a, ma- a magician named Simon had its ups and downs. The apostles, they came from Jerusalem so that the Samaritans could receive the Holy Spirit, and then they returned to Jerusalem. And now Philip, as you remember, uh, the the, uh, apostles actually went back to Jerusalem preaching basically in every town that they came through, and Philip was left there in uh, Samaria. Uh, But now we're going to see how God uses Philip again, and we're going to see how he uh, works with him uh, through a... um, Got to always turn this thing on. (laughs) through an Ethiopian eunuch. And what I'd like for us to do is just read down through the verses. Uh, First, uh, Acts 8, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then we'll come back and we'll kind of pick it apart a little bit. But I think there's some really great principles uh, in this passage uh, for us to learn, for us to know about, and for us to keep in the forefront of our minds. So let's start with verse 26 and read down through verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that uh, he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For this life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, that wasn't a mistake, as you saw some of those uh, words, verse 37 in yellow. We'll talk about that uh, as we get there, because uh, that particular verse is not in uh, the earliest manuscripts that have been found now. And some would say, oh my goodness, uh, let's freak out about that because that would insinuate that the scriptures are not reliable. And I will attest to you in a few minutes that that makes them actually more reliable uh, as we see why that is and what has happened. So let's talk uh, back through this. And what I want you to see first is that God's providence at work. I want you to see that God is involved in this thing right from the very beginning. Let's go back and look at verses 26 through 28 and just see how God's hand is directing this thing. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This is a very interesting passage. Here we see that God is orchestrating this meeting between Philip and this Ethiopian. Keep in mind, Ethiopia is in Africa, and up until this place, we aren't aware of any converts to Christianity from or in Africa. Now listen, this is the last place that Philip would go. This is the last place he would go. Why in the world would he wander through a desert, this desert road, when it's people he really wants to share the good news about Jesus with? Uh, He would have never come up with a strategy. He would have never said, you know, things are going so well in Samaria now, I've got to have a new strategy. I know, I'll go to a desolate place on the planet, this desert, and I'll preach there doesn't make any sense. It would mean no strategy at all. And so God has to send an angel to him to to give him a message to go to this place. We see here that this prominent and influential Ethiopian, and we are going to spend a lot of time talking about his his background, uh, but basically being the treasure for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, he's a very wealthy man. He's a very prominent man. He's He's a very influential guy. And he's an African the first convert to Africa that we saw here. He'd come to worship the Jewish God. He was a convert to Judaism, and he was leaving Jerusalem to go home, and as he was going home, he was reading the Old Testament. So he'd he'd gone to Jerusalem, he'd had this wonderful time of worship, and on the way home, he's reading his Bible. Now, how many of you have such a great time on Sunday mornings? You just leave here and you go, man, the worship was so awesome. I cannot wait to get in my car and read the Bible on the way home. Now, hopefully you don't do that with your little tiny you know, Bible version on your phone. But he was, that in- I mean, he was that excited about it. He was that excited about worshiping the one true God. 
This might be the first example of distracted driving. I don't know. And in actuality, because he was seated, he probably had a driver. So there was probably somebody up front driving it, and he was sitting in the back. But he was reading Isaiah. Folks, I want us to see from this. God is at work all the time, all around us, trying to use us to redeem mankind and to make us more like Jesus. Now you think about that. God is working through circumstances today. From the time you got up this morning to the time we go to bed today, he's working in circumstances around us to do two things. One, use us to help him redeem mankind. Now, I don't think, I'm not saying that we have the ability to redeem anyone, but God has chosen to use human beings to do his work. And so uh, when I stand next to the gas pump getting gas and I get into a conversation with the person on the other side of the gas pump, is that just happenstance or is this something God has designed? Because he wants to use us to redeem all of those who are not yet in his family. The other thing he wants to do is he wants to make us more like his son Jesus. And he will use whatever means necessary to do that. He's not interested in our happiness. He's not interested in us having a life of ease. Now, you can turn your television on. You can see pastors all the time talking about how God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise and make your life just as easy as it can be. I wish the Apostle Paul could come back just for one day and do a panel discussion with those guys. Don't you? I mean, that's not what Jesus came to do. He wants to make us like his son. Now, he can do that the easy way. He can do that the hard way, and that really depends on us. But that's what he's here to do. And so he's working in circumstances all around us. God uh, went to extreme measures in this particular case to get Philip, this wonderful preacher guy, and this African influential guy on his way back home, by the way. He'd already been to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's on his way back home to Africa. What a perfect time for him to receive Christ as a Savior. And God just makes it possible for these two to run into each other. You know, all of us have witnessed or experienced these strange uh, coincidences, haven't we? You know, I would suggest that they're not coincidences at all. Well, they might be, some might be, but but some of them are God-ordained circumstances and meetings that he's using us, that he wants to use us through. There's a story about a guy named Samuel Matson. He said, jobs were hard to find in New York City in 1930. I was just 19. I was fresh off the boat from Sweden, and I didn't speak any English. When I boarded the train in my hometown of Karlskrona, Sweden, a woman next to me had asked, where are you going? America, I said, to make a new start. My cousin Lars works in New York City, she informed me, at the Steinway Piano Factory. Look him up when you get there, she wrote on a piece of paper, handed it to me, and said, God be with you. It was a sweltering New York day when I set out in search of the factory. I had no idea where it was. I wandered the city for hours, showing people that little scrap of paper which bore four words on it. Lars Olson, Steinway Piano. Nobody was able to help me. I was disappointed and so tired. When I saw a parked car, I opened the door and slid into the front seat. Where I was from, anyone could rest in someone else's wagon or cart. I hope the same was true here. I soon fell asleep, but was jolted awake by the blast of a whistle. Workmen streamed out of a nearby building. One of them yelled at me in English. What is he so upset about, I thought. 
I answered instinctively in Swedish that I was sorry. Amazingly, he responded in Swedish. What are you doing in my car? I explained, and then I showed him that piece of paper. The man smiled. He said the whistle I had heard announced the end of the workday at Steinway & Sons Piano Factory. Then he walked me around the corner and introduced me to someone who got me a job as a painter. By now you've probably guessed, the man who owned the car was Lars Olson. Now I'm sure that's just a big coincidence. Makes for a good story, right? Sometimes maybe. But folks, I, I really believe that we miss out on a lot of the things God is doing around us because we get caught up in all of the physical world and in all of the parts of our schedule and the issues that we're doing that we somehow just don't even allow God to interrupt us. Philip allowed God to interrupt him that day. Let's continue on. After this, I want you to see not only that God's providence was at work, but the Ethiopian needed help to understand God's word. Look at verses 29 through 31. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And of course, that's where we probably figure out that somebody else is driving. He comes up and sits with him. See, even though the Ethiopian was diligently reading, he wanted to read God's word, he wanted to understand God's word, even he realized he needed some guidance. He needed some guidance. You know, one of the reasons we're in community groups and core groups, we listen to preaching, not only to understand the Bible for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others when they need help understanding God's word too. Remember, folks, your pastors are not the ministers here. We are not the paid professional ministers. You are the ministers. We are the ones training, equipping, and modeling for you. That's it. And so when, when uh, you have somebody at your work who, who might be reading the Bible or have some questions or, or some kind of questions about spiritual things, don't let your, your first answer always be, oh, let me take you to my pastors and, and talk with them. Don't let that be your first answer. That should be your last, uh, you know, kind of line of defense. That should be the last thing you say. The first thing you should say is, what's on your mind? Let's talk about, you should have enough grasp of the Bible to be able to share with someone else. You should have enough grasp of the Bible to answer somebody's basic questions. God put Philip in this position so that Philip could talk to him about Isaiah. Now, just think, if, if Philip had never read the book of Isaiah, if he wasn't familiar with the book of Isaiah, what would he have done? Would he have said, well, let's go back to Jerusalem. I, uh, the apostles are there. I can, I can hook you up with them, and they can tell you what it means. But he didn't do that because he knew God's word. Folks, I'm not saying that every one of us has to be a Bible scholar. I'm not saying that every one of us needs to go to eight years of seminary and get our PhDs. But what we do need to do is have a basic understanding of this book so that when something in life comes up, we can open it to a passage and say, oh, here's what God says about that. Here's what God says about that. Oh, really, that? Let me show you what God says about that. Oh, look what it says right here. We ought to have that basic understanding. I had a job at one point in my illustrious past in a pretty large church with about 35 or 40 
ministers on staff. And uh, it was about my second week there, and I don't even remember what, what happened in the office, but something happened in the office, and a couple of the secretaries were very upset about some things, and, and it really hurt. Uh, uh, I remember them crying, and um, I ran to my office and got my Bible, and I brought it out, and I laid it on their desk, and I said, look what God says here, guys. And I read it to them. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember them saying, wow, this is the first time that anybody has ever actually opened the Bible and, and shared with us what God says. I was floored by that. Folks, here's the really cool thing. If I, if I read this to a coworker and they say, well, I think that's stupid, then my, my whole point is, that's fine. I didn't write this thing. <laughs> it's not my fault. I didn't write it. If you don't like it, that's okay. But this is what God says. It's not what Michael says. I don't have any advice on anything. That's good. <laughs> but this book has a lot of really good advice. So I like to lean on it. But we've got to know it, folks, before we can share it with others. But Philip did know it. Philip had read the book of Isaiah. He was familiar with it. And so God put him right where he wanted him to be. The third thing I want you to see here is that the gospel is found in the Bible cover to cover. The good news about Jesus is found in the Bible cover to cover. Look what it says in verses 32 through 35. Now, this is amazing. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Ooh, who's that sound like? And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture in Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. Folks, you don't have to be a scholar on every topic, but you've got to know Jesus. You've got to know Jesus, and you've got to know these passages that talk about him. The good news about Jesus is all over the Bible, from the first verse to the last. If somebody wants to start at the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I can talk about Jesus. Right there it says, in the beginning God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, together God created everything that you see. If you go to the end of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let me tell you about Jesus' grace. Now, folks, I, I, I mean, from the beginning to the end, Jesus is the topic. Jesus is the topic of the Bible. And so anytime you get into a discussion with somebody, you can go right to the main topic, Jesus. And so what Philip did was, he said, okay, let me just tell you that that wasn't about the prophet. That was about Jesus, the Messiah, who was coming when that was written. But let me tell you, he's here. He's already been here. He came, he, and of course, uh, uh, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he had been in Jerusalem, so he'd already seen all the hubbub going on about Jesus. This wasn't a surprise to him. He said, hey, you know that guy everybody's talking about that those guys are getting beat up over and all that you know, hubbub's going on about? Let me tell you about my friend Jesus. And then he begins to preach to him the good news of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how Jesus came to pay for the sins of all mankind. And he shares this. With this, with this Ethiopian from the book of Isaiah. 
And so the gospel is found in the Bible from front to back. And we need to understand it enough where we can share it with other people. Last thing I want you to see in this uh, section is that true believers are anxious to be obedient to Jesus Christ. True believers are anxious to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Let's finish with the, uh, with the uh, chapter with verses 36 through 40. It says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now here we see the Ethiopian eunuch was anxious to be obedient to God. So Philip's up there. He's explaining the scripture. I mean, I got this, uh, this picture in my head. You know, they're sitting there side by side on the seat while they're you know, going through this desert road. And, and Philip is explaining to him right out of Isaiah. You know, here's, here's what Isaiah says and here's what it means. And, and, and this guy's looking at it and he's looking at it and he's, he's thinking. And then he spots some water. Now think about where they are. They're in the middle of a desert. And there's a big pool of water big enough for them to get into. Hmm. Uh, We were talking about God's providence, I think, earlier, weren't we? (laughs) Not a lot of lakes in the desert if you've ever been there. Okay, but but they're coming up on one. And immediately, this Ethiopian guy says, look, there's water. And he probably interrupts Philip. Philip's there explaining and and kind of preaching a sermon there. He goes, wait, look, look, there's some water. What would prevent me from being baptized? Now, let us go back for just a minute and read that passage again. And I'm going to skip over verse 37, okay, for just a second, and then we'll explain why. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. All right, so let's talk about verse 37 for just a minute, and then we'll finish talking about the topic. Um, what's really interesting about old manuscripts of the Bible is even a hundred years ago, uh, the manuscripts that we had were at least 400 years, probably 400 or 500 AD, somewhere in that, that area. In the last hundred years, we have found manuscripts that are earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. Okay? So you would think that the longer history goes, the more uh, we would probably question the authority of the scriptures. But in reality, God's doing the opposite. As more time passes, earlier manuscripts are found. And what's interesting is, if you have a manuscript from 400 AD, and you find one from 300 AD, and they're exactly the same, you go, holy moly, there was no change in that 100-year period. And then you want to find one from 200 you go, wow, that's exactly the same. And you find one from 150 A.D. And you get closer and closer to the original documents. Now, we don't have the original scriptures. But what we have here is, uh, you know, copies made very, very, very early on. 
and then we see virtually no change over hundreds, hundreds of years and now thousands of years. Verse 37, uh, for a long time, was in the earliest manuscripts we had. And so it was considered part of this chapter, part of the book of Acts. But since that time, since it has been kind of popularized and used as scripture, we have found earlier manuscripts where verse 37 is not in it. Okay? Now, why would some early church fathers or somebody put that in? Here's why. It's a little bit disjunct here. Because what happens is, uh, and I don't want to bore you too much here, but I want you to understand this. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He asks a question. And without this verse 37 that was added in, there is no answer. Philip doesn't answer him. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, the verse 37 does not contradict the rest of Scripture. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I can give you 20 other verses. So there's nothing uh, heretical, there's nothing untrue about verse 37. But some of your uh, Bibles may not even have verse 37 in it. And you're wondering why I'm making up Scripture. I'm not, okay? Uh, And some of them may... But listen, what this shows us is, okay, here's one verse that's been added since this thing was probably originally penned. What that means is, in the book of Acts... There's over 2,000 other verses that are exactly the same. You see, when you sometimes get one little tiny thing out of order, what you see is the order in all of the rest of it. This is not one of 573 changes. This is one thing that was added to help us understand well, what was happening here and to break up this kind of disjunct uh, situation where Philip doesn't answer the guy. He asks a question, and then they just hop out and jump in the water. Okay? So, but I wanted you to understand that. It's not in the earliest manuscripts, and you're, some of your Bibles might not even have verse 37 in it, or it might be a, a footnote at the bottom. But it doesn't preach anything wrong or, or inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. So let's go back and talk about, uh, you know, the Ethiopian, he sees this body of water. He says, hey, what prevents me from being baptized? Whatever Philip said, whether it was these words or or not, he said something to him to confirm his conversion. Because remember, remember, Philip had just dealt with who? The magician Simon. This guy Simon had followed him, had said he was a believer, had gotten uh, baptized even. And then we find out that his heart's all wrong. His heart's all wrong. So if you think Philip just willy-nilly started baptizing people left and right after that, you're crazy. He had to at least ask the guy, well, you know, do you believe this? Or, you know, do you put your faith and trust in Christ? Or whatever, he, whatever words he used. But listen, this Ethiopian, the moment that Philip began to preach Jesus to him and help him see that that passage in Isaiah was about Jesus, he didn't... He didn't contemplate his future following or his future followership of Jesus. He's like, what? Jesus is the Savior? Look, there's water right there. Can I be baptized now? Can I do this? What do I do to get started? How can I do this? He's anxious. He didn't hesitate. And by the way, I also use this passage quite frequently uh, to talk about people about immersion. Because it's clear in this passage 
uh, that when it said they got out of the chariot and they went down into the water and they came up out of the water, uh, you know, Philip didn't reach down to a little puddle of water and splash some water on him. He took him down and he immersed him into the water. And when they came up out of the water, you know, then Philip, you know, was gone. So it's clear in this passage that, that Philip baptized this Ethiopian by immersion. But I want you to see here that the moment this man truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God, he was anxious to be obedient to him in everything. In everything. So what are the applications for us? What do we take away from this passage today? Well, three things I want you to see quickly. One is, watch carefully for God's hand at work in our lives. Folks, God is working all around us in our relationships, in our circumstances, in our situations. We have to open our spiritual eyes to see what he's doing. And I know your question is, well, how do I open my spiritual eyes? What do I do? Just be aware. Just be aware. You will be so surprised if you will just con- uh, continuously have this conscious uh, uh, thought process in your mind that God is at work around me. God's doing something around me. So that when I walk into the bank, and I'm not talking about getting goofy, okay? I'm just saying when I walk into the bank, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm here to make a deposit like normal, but maybe God has worked it out for somebody to be in my path. Maybe God's worked it out for me to share with somebody just what they need to hear to turn their life over to Jesus. Maybe God's going to do something in me today and help me become more like his son. And so you just look for it. You're just aware of it. Let me tell you, if you will do that every day this week, if every day this week you will just remind yourself constantly throughout the day, God is at work around me. Where can I see myself getting plugged in with him? You're going to have so many more interactions this week than last week with the people around you about God, it will blow your mind. I just think we're, we're just in a dream world. We're just living in the physical when we forget that God is at work around us. Watch carefully. Watch carefully for God's hand at work. The second thing is be ready to give understanding to those questioning God's word. Folks, we have to know enough about God's word to help others. And by the way, I, I use Philip's strategy all the time. When somebody comes to me and they say, hey, uh, I want to debate with you about evolution. Let's talk about evolution. I, I generally go, okay, we can talk about evolution, but first, I want to I find out where you are on the resurrection of Jesus. Because if we get this wonderful, great understanding of evolution and they don't know about Jesus... They're still lost when we leave that conversation. And by the way, the scripture is very clear that those uh, who aren't Christians can't understand the things of God. So why would I have a conversation about somebody about 20 different theological points when I know that they're not a Christian? They're not going to be able to understand God or his word. They aren't connected to God or his word. And so the first thing I always talk about is the gospel. I think that should be our strategy. That was Philip's strategy. Philip could have talked about Isaiah and why he wrote this, and and he could have talked about uh, prophecies and all the prophecies about Jesus. I'm trying to figure out a way for him to preach without talking about Jesus. I'm not sure that he could have, but even if he could have, he wouldn't have, because the whole point, again, is, is Jesus. So be ready to give some understanding to those who have questions about God's word or any spiritual things. And lastly, be anxious to be obedient to Christ 
as his follower. Listen, guys, I want us to live lives where we, we read God's word and we see what it says and we are anxious to do what he says. We don't go, you know, that's a really good thing. I should probably work that into my life over the next three or four years. I should probably work that into my life over the next couple of years. I'll have to make some changes. I want us to be anxious. I, I want us to be the kind of people that the moment you see water in the desert, you say, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I want to do that. And so let's be people that are, uh, you know, I know some of you, just because of the way your minds work, when, you know, if I was to share with you a new concept today, you'd have to process that over days or maybe weeks and think about that and go, I, I get some of that. Not all of us are reactionary people. But listen, when we hear from God, and we know God is saying something to us, and we see how God wants us to act or behave or change or live or, or interact with others or whatever, let's not think about it. Let's just go, wow, there's water? Let me get in. So when you hear about forgiving others as God has forgiven you, I want us to be the kind of people that are anxious to say, wow, here's 15 people I hate right now. I'm just going to offer them forgiveness. I'm just, I'm just going to jump in the water and give it to them because God says to. I want us to be those kind of people. I think God wants us to be those kind of people. So watch carefully for God's hand as he's working in our lives. Be ready to give understanding to those who have questions about God's word and be anxious to be obedient as Christ increases our understanding. Folks, if we just did those three things, I think it would revolutionize our lives. I really do. This Ethiopian went back to Africa as the first convert. He said he was full of joy. Do you think he kept silent about that in Africa? I think he was the first convert, but I sure don't think he was the last. I wish there was a, 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 a book about his life that showed how God used him to minister to those around him. I think it would be profound. I think it would be profound. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word that guides and teaches us. Father, thank you for showing us this interaction that took place between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. God, help us as we read these, these passages, not to just get a little Bible knowledge, but to really help it to revolutionize our lives. Father, help us in this process as we, as we look for your hand at work, as we are more uh, just conscious of it, as we look for it, as we, as we seek out ways that you were wanting to use us instead of living in a, a kind of a, a trance, going through life. Father, open our spiritual eyes. Help us to see what you're doing so we can get connected with it. And then, Father, help us uh, to, to just have a thirst for your word not to just come to, to church to hear it preached to us, but God, to read it during the week, to, to, uh, to study it, uh, to just uh, meditate on it, to memorize it, to love it. Help us to really have an understanding of it so that we can open it up and, and share good news with people around us. Good news not just from us, but from you. And then, Father, lastly, help us to be anxious to be obedient to you. God, help us not to just... Uh, feel like we need to process things or, or, or wait 
or, or we'll do that when we get more mature, or we'll do that later. But God, when it comes to obeying you, when it comes to doing the things you want us to do, Father, help us be more like this Ethiopian who sees water and wants to jump in. God, as we see uh, you doing things in our life, help us not to, to hesitate or to stand back, but to really just jump in and see you do great things in and through us. Thank you for your son who offers forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the penalty that he paid that we sang about this morning. Oh, wow. We sang this morning so just wonderfully about these, this great thing that he did on the cross, how he paid for our sins and how they are gone and how he had victory over the death, hell, and the grave. Father, help us to, uh, for that to just give us power, for that to give us uh, just confidence to be who you want us to be. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us. If there's anyone here who has not yet crossed that line of faith, who has not yet given their life to you, Father, I pray this morning that you would put that on their heart and that they would not be able to leave this building without talking to somebody about that, without asking some questions to someone to help them to know how to do that. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.